Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. The next time you pray for someone to be saved, you are asking God to intervene in their lives. As humans, we find it very easy to be distracted, don't we? We can get very cosy and comfy in our little world that we switch off to higher realms. There are times when God is trying to get our attention, but it seems we need to almost hit rock bottom before we even think to look up. Nebuchadnezzar was certainly resistant to God's voice, so dramatic means were necessary. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Daniel chapter 4 as we uncover an intriguing interaction between Nebuchadnezzar and God through Daniel. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for Daniel's respect. This is a, a turning point in the book of Daniel. And it's a turning point for a couple of reasons. One is this is quite possibly the, the marker that indicates that Daniel is no longer enjoying the friendship of his three colleagues. They've been sent out to the provinces. It says that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the three guys that went through the fiery furnace were promoted to provincial rulers. They were made, it's like, I guess, kind of like being a state governor. They were sent out to the provinces. So Daniel has been more or less in Babylon by himself now as far as not having his three colleagues. But something's been happening over these last 10 years in Daniel's life because we come out of the fiery furnace of Daniel chapter 3, we enter into Daniel chapter 4 and it would be easy to think that the last verse, uh, verse 30 of chapter 3, where it says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon. So that's it, promoted, out they go. It would be easy to think that now the next verse is just the next day, and it's not. It's, a, it's about a 10-year gap. And I, and I, wanna, I want to suggest to you that in these 10 years, while Daniel was, was separated from his colleagues he probably maintained some contact they probably had some contact even though these guys were promoted out to the provinces of babylon and and my my hunch is and and i think i've got a good reason to hunch this that the four of them were praying for babylon and the reason i've got this hunch is twofold firstly when they were little and i mean 13 14 12 13 14 years of age we know that they saw and heard the prophet Jeremiah on the streets of Jerusalem. They heard Jeremiah say in Jeremiah chapter 29, pray for the prosperity of Babylon, because as the city prospers, you shall prosper. There's no greater way for a city to prosper than for its leaders to fear God and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Our state cannot experience blessing and prosperity unless we fear god acknowledge him and honor his word his ways and his will we just can't what were they up against they were up against nebuchadnezzar who up until that point was the most most ruthless violent megalomaniac the world had ever seen he was brutal when he came into Jerusalem and finally destroyed it in 586 BC. There was not a building left standing. 
The walls were completely dismantled. This thing was a statement as much as it was a victory of war. This was a statement to the surrounding nations. You mess with me, this is what I can do to you. And no one dared mess with him. This is a man that was accustomed to human sacrifice. Human life was cheap. He worshipped a god called Bel. He built a temple to Bel in Babylon. He married a median wife. She was used to gardens that they had perfected the, uh, the art of, of being able to suspend pot plants and have hanging gardens. And Nebuchadnezzar said, sweetie, they're not gardens. I'll show you gardens. And he built one of the seven wonders of the world, acres and acres and acres of hanging gardens and presented it to his wife as a gift and said, now they're gardens. And it became known as one of the seven wonders of the world. This man was extravagant. He was lavish. He was brutal. And he was a pagan. He hurt people. Paganism always hurts people. Where there's no fear of God, people get hurt. But something happened. Something happened. And it's hard for us to understand that in, it's in the midst of this that a man so vile, so corrupt could be converted. We've already seen that in chapter 1, he sees the difference that honouring God makes physically. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These boys said, we're not going to drink alcohol. We're not going to eat your meat offered to idols. We're just going to eat fruit and vegetables. And they were, it says, something like 10 times healthier than everyone else. And the king saw that. Seed number one. Seed number two. He has a dream. He doesn't tell anyone what the dream is. And he demands of all the spiritual people, the priests of his own beloved Bell, tell me what my dream was as well as the interpretation. No one can do it except Daniel, who has... We read early on in this chapter, chapter 2, asked his three friends, pray for me that God might reveal it to me. Seed number two sown into Nebuchadnezzar that the one true God is the God of Israel. Seed number three, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. He looks into the furnace and he sees someone that he describes as one like, and I quote, the son of God. In there with them. That was seed number three. Miracle number three. How many miracles would it take for you in your hardened condition to acknowledge that God was trying to get your attention? How many miracles would it take for you to recognize there is a God in heaven who created heaven and earth? He has a plan for your life. Your life doesn't end at the grave, your life goes on beyond the grave and he proves that to you without doubt what should your response be reasonably what should your response be for nebuchadnezzar over these past 10 years he forgot all about those three miracles forgot all about them and went further and further into violence aggression ruthless sexual immorality 
So what we're going to see in this chapter is remarkable. We are going to see the conversion of a world emperor. Did Nebuchadnezzar seek God and is that why he was converted? And before you answer that question, the answer is no, God got a hold of him. And I want you to see this because this might challenge some of the way you think about how God interacts with people. I'm going to suggest to you that God does not need your permission to do something in your life. Now, you might think, well, you know, of course not, he's God. There are some people that say God can do nothing in a person's life unless that person gives him permission. There's a whole idea in theology called the aseity of God, A-S. A-E-T-Y, a society of God. And it means this, God needs nothing, including your permission. So when Nebuchadnezzar went to sleep this night and he had a dream from God, did God get his permission? Simple answer is no, God just did it. Now, you might think, well, that's scary. God could just come and do something in my life anytime he likes. And my simple response to that is, yeah yeah i reckon he could just soak on that for the rest of the day but now think about it like this you know someone who you think is so far from god it's going to take a miracle to convert them so you start praying for them oh god convert and save the soul of my friend father mother sister brother work colleague, fill in the blanks. What are you asking God to do? Are you asking God to get that person's permission so that God can now enter into their life? No, because their rebellion against God is already the answer to that question. You're asking God to ignore the rebellion and intervene anyway in their life. The next time you pray for someone to be saved, you are asking God to intervene in their lives. And fair enough, God is at work in ways that we may never see. And this is the thing I want you to realize. Most hardened rebels are fundamentally dishonest. I had this, someone recently shared with me that they, they said most people who claim to be atheists and yet hate God usually had a horrible childhood where they were really disappointed with their father figure, their father. And one person who was in this meeting, and this was Hugh Ross who made this point. Hugh was telling me this. Hugh Ross said, he he said this at a university and it was to professors and very, very smart people. One of the professors came up and said, I'm an atheist and I hate God, but I, I don't believe he exists. And I had no problem with my father. I got on really, really well with my father. And Hugh thought, oh, well, that, that kind of ruins my theory then, doesn't it? That night, later that night, another one of the professors came up and said, don't believe a word he just told you. That man hasn't spoken to his father in 20 years. He despises him. Kim and I were sharing with a local business identity who has sort of dug his heels in and kind of over the years mocked Christians. And one day we were in his vicinity and he called us into his office 
And then he said, I've worked with Christians and I've given them hell. And as I'm giving them hell on the outside, on the inside, my heart is aching and I'm crying and I'm pleading, please keep going. Please tell me how I can get forgiveness, how I can find true meaning and purpose for this stupid, futile life that I just can't figure out right now. Please keep going. Because for 10 years, Daniel is praying for Nebuchadnezzar to come to know the fear of God, to surrender to the God of Israel, the God who created heaven and earth. And for 10 years, the situation's getting worse and worse and worse. And then we read this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God, point being, no higher God, has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Pretty big statement for a world emperor to say. And now we're about to read of a king, of an emperor who ruled the world, who was brought down to the lowest of low. For some people, you're going to start praying for them and things are going to seem like they get worse. But sometimes a person has to hit rock bottom before they look up to God. Hmm. Sometimes God will remove all the obstacles between him and them so that they will come to know him. He says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace, and I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Hmm. Here's Nebuchadnezzar having a dream that scared the living daylights out of him. Verse 6, So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they should make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Verse 7, Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. The king has exhausted every human option. Now Daniel walks in. It's not like, well, Daniel did it, but there was another 10 guys after him who could have done it. No, there was no one after him. There was no one left. All of the priests of the pagan and idols had their go. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named, get this, get this, this is profound. Nebuchadnezzar is, it's almost like Nebuchadnezzar regrets this. That's why he, see, in chapter one, we read that Nebuchadnezzar changed the name of Daniel to Belteshazzar. And now notice how King Nebuchadnezzar refers to Belteshazzar. At last, who came in? Daniel. And listen to the confession, the admission that Nebuchadnezzar makes. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the, notice this word, holy gods. Now I want you to note this, not one 
pagan god. Not one idol is ever described as holy in the scriptures. Not one. Holy means morally pure, not like anything else, totally unique, so special. They will never hurt you. They'll never harm you. They only do good. Holy means infinite, limitless love. And here Nebuchadnezzar says, in Daniel is the spirit of the holy God who created heaven and earth. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. See, he did call him Belteshazzar then. (laughs) Not anymore. Because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. And we read that Daniel did indeed interpret Nebuchadnezzar's prophetic dream. The text says this, The visions of my head as I lay in bed with these, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven, uh, heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold a watcher, a holy one, that is an angel, came down from heaven. Verse 14, he proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree. And lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Verse 15, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Verse 16, let his mind be changed from of a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. Verse 17, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, that is the angels, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. We come to verse 18. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw and you, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me, the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God or holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let the dream or the interpretation, or let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He's a respectful guy, this Daniel. If you were serving a king who'd been living this way for the past 10 years or so, I don't know if you'd give this much respect, but he did. This is a real lesson to us Christians about how we speak of our political leaders. And I know there's a whole bunch of people who don't want to hear that. But please be respectful. Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar of the urgent need to repent. We'll see that in a moment. And he lists some of these sins. 
that he was disgusted with on behalf of God. And it would be easy to read that and think, well, yeah, that's what they did in the Old Testament. They're always on about sin and judgment and repentance. Yeah, but so was this guy, Jesus Christ. He warned all people of the urgent need to repent. This In our home group this week, we were talking about when the Tasman Bridge went down and how some people actually <coughs> got out of their cars. And old-time Tasmanians will remember this. That they actually tried to wave down cars. Don't go, the bridge is closed. Don't go, the bridge is... And people just ignored them and drove over to their deaths. And the person who cries out, repent, is saying the same thing. Stop, turn around. And in biblical sense, to repent, it means stop thinking the way you're thinking and think differently. Because how you think determines how you live. In Roman times, they used this, this word metanoia, which means you're walking this way, you stop, the, salt, the centurion will yell out, metanoia, which in English is repent, which means stop, turn around and go this way. And the New Testament chose that word as the word for repent. It's the first word that came out of the lips of Jesus publicly, repent. When John the Baptist is introduced to us, the first word that comes out of his mouth in the New Testament is repent. Stop going this way. Turn around. Change your heart and mind and begin to live a different way. Jesus Christ said it. Luke 13 verse 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, this is Jesus speaking, you will all likewise perish. Jesus knew that there was a judgment that is coming after this life. And Jesus is standing at the gap in the bridge pleading, please don't go on. You'll perish if you go on. Please stop living this way. Jesus is the one who's given us his word, which is a map of the landmines of life. Wouldn't you want to know where the landmines are so you don't get hurt and don't perish? Despite Nebuchadnezzar hearing, and I've mentioned how he had heard and encountering God. He didn't heed God. He didn't heed what he heard. And the king answered and said, uh, is not this. So, so Daniel's interpreted the, the vision to him. You're the tree. You're going to be brought down low. And we, we read how uh, Daniel had pleaded with the king to turn from his sin. And he didn't. He refused to. Daniel said in verse 24, This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods, or seven years, shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven or god rules therefore o king verse 27 therefore o king let my counsel be acceptable to you break off your sins imagine this young kid He's 20, what is he, 26 years of age, speaking to the world emperor. 
telling him this, you have been bad, you have been evil, and you need to stop it. 26, 27-year-old, 25, 26, 27, that, that sort of age, speaking to the leader of the world, telling him he needs to repent. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar would have been around about close to 60 at this time. And it says in verse 28, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. He ignored what Daniel warned. He ignored the dream. He ignored the vision. Verse 29, at the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered, verse 30, here we we are on the screen. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And it goes on. And Nebuchadnezzar was indeed driven out and he did live like an animal. He had insanity for seven years. Hair grew on his body. It's a condition known as uh, lycanthropy. Uh, When you're lycanthropic, hair will grow where it doesn't normally grow. and, And you end up looking almost like a wolf. And this is called, it's actually called werewolf syndrome. Where you actually, nails grow and hair grows where it shouldn't grow. And, and he was roaming the fields for seven years as an insane man. In much the same way, there's actually someone like this described in the Gospels who roamed the tombs where Jesus went near Decapolis. A similar sort of thing. Nebuchadnezzar eventually looks up to heaven in his insanity. And I believe that takes the grace of God as well. And he cried out to God for forgiveness. And he says this in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right, his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And boy, didn't he. Man, oh man. You don't have to be the ruler of the world for God to want your attention. You don't have to go through such dramatic events To come to realize there is a God in heaven who is holy, good, just and loving and he loves you better than anyone else on the planet. And he wants you to surrender to Christ, to be converted to Christ. And here's the real possibility. I'm saying this and I'm talking about this and you're going, you know what? There have been some pretty weird things going on in my life lately. I've been having some strange dreams. I've been having some near misses. I've Boy, I should have been dead here, then, there. I'm alive for a reason. Something's happened in my life and I'm not sure why, but I've got a feeling it's God. And here's my question. Are you ignoring the God who's trying to get your attention? I'll come to you in a moment. Let me talk to those of us who are followers of Christ. And can I say we need to lift our game? One of the reasons Daniel was able to so effectively minister to the ruler of the world, the leader of the world, was he walked the talk. We need to lift our game. 
Daniel was someone who walked the talk. And today there are Christians who can argue the five classic proofs for the existence of God, but they live as if there is no God. God is looking for young men, young women who will be like Daniel, who will say, I will walk the talk. I will pay the price. I will do what it takes to honor God, whether someone's watching or no one's watching. He's always watching and I will live for him. Church, we need to lift our game. And here's Daniel. He was put on the spot and he had developed the spiritual sensitivity to be able to speak to the ruler of the world. What if a political leader asked you a question requiring you to show your spiritual depth? Have you cultivated your spiritual depth? Church, we need to lift our game. Don't justify your spiritual laziness. If God placed a Nebuchadnezzar in your life, and for you it may not be a political leader, it may be a school teacher, a principal, it may be the president of your sporting club, it may be someone in a position, and they say to you, tell me about this God that you claim to know. Are you ready to go? Church, we need to lift our game. We really need young men who know how to hear from God because they have taken the time to develop their spiritual ears. Nebuchadnezzar was a little hard of hearing, it seems. He eventually came to acknowledge God's greatness, but it begs the question, am I like that too, resistant to God's voice? More from Dr. Corbett next week with Daniel's responsibility. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Daniel's Respect, are available from the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. Updates and special offers are also available on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We invite you to join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.